Welcome back, audience. Here's a question for the day. Which of the following is the annual salary for a social worker according to the BLS.gov? Is it A, 83000 B, 75000 C, 50000 or D, 62000 The answer, as you know, will be at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Hey, y'all. I hope you're well. Welcome to another episode of Healthcare Boulevard. This is a podcast where we shine more light on healthcare and our goal here is to provide more options to people looking to choose healthcare as a career path, regardless of their background. My name is Sena Kakumo and I am your host and creator here. I thank you for tuning in. I appreciate your support. Remember, you can tune in on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, audience. We are here today with Samantha, who is a clinical social worker. And while I welcome her in, we'll get into it, learn more about her profession. So Samantha, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm a clinical social worker in Los Angeles. Um, I'm originally from a really small town right in the center of California. Um, Very, very different than, you know, what people think California is. Um, I went to community college first, then lived in the Bay Area for a bit, and eventually settled here in LA after grad school. Um, I work both in private practice and at the UCLA Rape Treatment Center. Um, So I do therapy and crisis counseling. Um, I've been in this role for about a year. Prior to this, I was a medical social worker for two years, also here at UCLA. Okay. So what town was that that you were raised in? It's called Dinuba. No one really knows it. Um, It's like an hour away from Fresno. Okay. Okay. It's funny. We're actually visiting Fresno this weekend. Really? Yeah. Yeah, everybody will usually know where that is, but I'm like, it's Mm -hmm. much, much smaller than that, but, you know, very similar to that, just smaller. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, that's amazing. So you went to community college. What was the trajectory for you? What did you plan when you graduated high school? Did you always want it and and was planning to become a social worker? Or was was there something else? And what was the, you know, sort of the work up to getting here? So, you know, when I was a kid, I had a lot of different ideas. I wanted to help people. I had a lot of nurses in my family. I was like, that sounds cool, but I'm squeamish. So I ended up really loving biology in high school, really loved the ocean. So I decided like, I'm going to be a marine biologist, even though I don't live (laughs) near an ocean, but you know, that was the plan. I wanted to go to the Cal State in Monterey and work at the aquarium. And I found out I didn't get financial aid. Mm. Um, So I was in that, you know, point where your parents make too much for you to get any help, but not enough to actually pay for your college. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awkward place to be in. Like most of us are in that place. It's like, if you're not dead broke. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. So I think that's where the 
student loan generation found ourselves, mm-hmm. but um, so I decided, you know, the smart thing to do would be to go to community college first. So I did that, started taking biology courses. Not only were they hard, but there was really no passion to drive the effort. I was like, yeah, you know, biology is cool, but it's not exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of my general education was I had to take a sociology course. So I took that and I was really intrigued. I was never challenged to think outside of just my bubble of life. So the Mm -hmm. idea of being able to study just society as a whole and why people behave the way that they do um, really intrigued me. And I took like all of the sociology classes that my community college had to offer. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do research. I don't know what that's going to look like exactly, but that's what I want to do. So I got my associate's degree and then I had to take a year off to do like some caregiving stuff for a family member. Then I went to Cal State East Bay in Hayward out in the Bay Area. Um, I got my sociology degree there. Once I did like a mini research project, I was like, oh, I only like the interview portion. I don't like analyzing data and I don't Uh love doing literature reviews. Um, But at the time, I didn't really know what a social worker did. You know, growing up in an area where there weren't a lot of people getting higher education, Mm -hmm. I thought a social worker was just like the person who helps you enroll for like Medi-Cal and food stamps. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just was not what I wanted to do. So I took a social work class just to see what it was about and found out that you can like work in jails, you can work in schools, you can be a therapist, you can be like working in Sacramento, trying to bring new bills, like all of it, all the options were just limitless. And I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what? I think that at this point I had developed a really strong interest in working with people who were touched by the criminal justice system Mm -hmm. and also worked, you know, worked with substance use counselors to, you know, most people get sucked into more than one um, of these issues, unfortunately. So I really wanted to make an impact there and realize I don't want to do research, but I can maybe be like a substance abuse counselor. Um, So I started applying to graduate school, got into UCLA. Um, So I moved down here and you know, I tried working in like what we call forensic social work for with people who were involved in the system, loved it, thought that was my dream job, but it was also had that little bit of like history with the healthcare industry. So I was like, yeah, let me try to apply for an internship at UCLA Medical Center just to try something different. Like you never know if you're going to love something until you try it. That is true. Fell in love with it. Uh, did my internship in the emergency room and I was like this is it this is my dream job (laughs) got hired after graduation worked there for two years then I started doing per diem work uh, for the rape treatment center which is also here in Santa Monica Um, and I loved it and then a therapist position opened up and I realized I can do therapy and I can do the crisis work and I was like this is the dream job so it's evolved on its own I Mm -hmm. guess so Mm -hmm. I it was never, I wasn't like a five-year-old saying, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. Right, right. I just kind of had a role with it. And, you know, life has taken me where I'm meant to be. So I love it. I love it. Uh, it, is, it is almost 
it's always exciting and and very like wowed to me when I meet somebody who became exactly what they wanted to be as a child. Mm-hmm. Those I feel like are more of the anomaly <laughs> than <Absolutely>. the norm. <laughs> Yes, because most of us we have this idea and we may get there but we often tend to take a total different route even if we end up there for sure (laughs) and in a different capacity (laughs) exactly and you know the winding road teaches you a lot as well so I think it's just great there's not you know one size fits all sometimes you just gotta trust the process and Mm -hmm. see where it goes yeah yeah absolutely so now you are working in two different settings. Let's try to dive in a little bit into your responsibilities and your role in those two settings, if you may. Yeah, so my main job, my full-time job is at the Rape Treatment Center. So uh, we're part of UCLA Health. Um, I do therapy and crisis counseling. So half the time I have a therapy caseload. So we provide free short-term trauma-focused therapy for survivors of sexual assault and sexual mm-hmm. abuse. Um, we also have a program called Stewart House, and that's for children, but I work on the adult side. Um, so I provide therapy there. I help them complete if they want to move forward with um, filing charges against their assailant. We'll do that. I can go to court with them. Mm. Um, and I also do work in our acute clinic, which is where we complete the medical forensic examinations. So that's where people go to get what most people call rape kits. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that as well. Um, so it's a great combination of, you know, advocacy work, crisis intervention, therapy. It's a little bit of everything. And the main focus really is just to try our best to be a support for people who have gone through this and increase awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, private practice is a very, very small thing I do on the side. Um, I just have a couple of clients that's virtual only. Um, so for that, I really try to focus on things different than what I do here. So my main population really is women in their you know mid to late 20s, early 30s who are struggling with life transitions um, just because that's, I feel like so much of that self-discovery takes place around that age. If you just mm-hmm. finished college or you're thinking of going back. Um, and of course, general trauma work has always, you know, been of interest to me. Being in the ER, you see every type mm-hmm. of trauma you can imagine. So um, I try to stay away from any sexual trauma stuff right now in private practice. Um, but yeah, this is really my main thing mm-hmm. and I love it. Okay. And what being some of your favorite part of your profession? Um, that's hard to say. I really, really enjoy doing psychotherapy. I mean, you're constantly learning. It's fascinating to see, you know, the way specific interventions can make like measurable change in a client. But I think the best part is most of my clients identify as women. And I've always wanted to work in a role where I can help women be you know treated better in the society and I love that I get to work with people who are often not believed and not heard that I get to truly be an advocate for people Mm -hmm. um so really it's my clients like I'm inspired by all of our survivors that we work with Mm -hmm. um yeah and what these some challenges you face Well, it's hard, of course, when we work in the acute clinic, I mean, you have children, you have older adults. Um, 
everyone, I feel like most people know how prevalent sexual assault is in our society. And mm -hmm. you know, one in four women have been assaulted. We all know someone. Um, but it's not until you're working in a clinic like this that you see how bad it actually is. Mm -hmm. So of course it's difficult when I see, let's say a child and their parent doesn't believe them, mm -hmm. right? That's heartbreaking. Or if I know that they're getting removed from the home and what is the likelihood that they're gonna be placed in this loving home in the foster care system? Mm -hmm. Not great chances, you know? So there's some people that I feel like some kids just really don't have a chance and it's hard to see that. And, you know, and I would say like the second hardest is definitely can be working with law enforcement. Mm. Um, you know, if someone is, we are, are mandated reporters. So we have to tell them if we know a crime has occurred and if, you know, our victim is going to report, um, you know, a lot of officers, of course, focus on interviewing suspects, not victims. So there can be a big disconnect there. Mm. Um, so yeah, that can be really, really difficult to try to just work as a team when we're coming from very, very different backgrounds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with the, especially with your primary position, is there any follow-up opportunities as in once, once they're done with you with primarily, do you ever have patients or clients come back for for the same reason or other reasons? Is that expected or is that totally out of the norm? So when they're coming in for the exam that occurs within five days of an assault, that's the time limit for collecting evidence. So we do offer follow-up care. Um, so if there's a risk for STD transmission, um, although we do offer medication to prevent STDs in pregnancy, we still do follow-up testing and that's free of charge as well. Um, so I do do those follow-up visits on Tuesdays. So they'll come in typically, um, if there's injuries, two weeks, six weeks, and then three months. If there are no injuries, six weeks and three months to test for STDs in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, after that, uh, there is no more follow-up, but they can call us if they want support. We have people that unfortunately will get assaulted again and will come back. Um, if we feel that the client is appropriate for short-term care, um, then if they start therapy with us, of course, we'll see them either virtually or here in the office. Um, and most of our clients are here with us from about 16 to 24 sessions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we do have people come back years later who say, you know, I process my all of my issues in therapy, but it's come up again, mm -hmm. especially when you have these high profile cases in the news, it can be triggering for people who are assaulted decades ago. Yeah. And some of them, you know, want to start therapy again and we'll see them or help them get connected with um, someone else in the community who is trauma informed. Mm -hmm. Now, as when you see somebody, especially in therapy, how and when do you determine that to stop, you know, that they've had enough sessions or that they're good, at least for now? So here our goal is we do short-term trauma-focused treatment. So the main goal of our treatment is symptom reduction. So if someone has, you know, numerous other struggles going on, 
we will typically want to refer them to someone who can see them long term and treat them as a whole. But sometimes that's not possible due to, you know, lack of insurance or distance, or they are seeing a different therapist for that, but they want someone who specializes in sexual trauma. Um, so once we start with them, we do, you know, our thorough psychosocial assessment. And then around session three, we'll try to set some very specific treatment goals after we've identified all of the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we'll evaluate those goals typically around session 10. Um, and that's when we really get to see where our client is, have they made significant process and their symptoms have reduced and they have the coping skills to continue on in life or do they need a little bit more support and we'll see them let's say for up to a total of like six months and some clients you know their acute symptoms are under control but they still have issues they want to process those clients we refer out to long-term therapists um we have you know a list of therapists in the community that we've spoken with and we know that they are trained in you know evidence-based practices specifically mm -hmm. around trauma. Okay, okay. That's interesting. Uh, it, it, I had a, I think the last person I had on here was a, a, a social worker as well. And she does similar, but totally different. She's a clinical social worker, but not dealing with a crisis or anything. So it's, it's really amazing to see the difference, how heavy your work can be, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't imagine going through that on a, you know, case-to-case -case basis, you know, one one person after another, I don't know, it's a big thing. Um, so with all that being the case, and, you know, you being in the middle of so much trauma, how do you sort of keep the the light on, so to speak, in, in your own personal life, you know what I mean? Right. And, well, you know, a big part of it is seeing my clients in therapy or during their follow-up visits, just seeing how resilient we are as humans, that gives mm. me so much hope. Mm. The fact that this person can go through all this awful stuff and still go to work and still be friendly to me when they don't have to be, it just shows like we really can make it through anything. So I realize like if I'm having a hard day, I'm capable of feeling better. If they can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of really amazing supportive clinicians in my life as well that I've worked with previously or here um, who know what it's like and can hear me and just hold that space and realize there is sometimes there's nothing to say. All you can say is that sounds really hard and just let me be upset but mm -hmm. I try to leave work at work mm -hmm. um you know my boyfriend also he works in the emergency room so we both know like we try our best like we do a quick check-in when we have a hard day and then we leave it there and just try to remember no matter how passionate you are about your job your job is not your life the point of work is to have a roof over your head and it's a way of pain for your real life, which is your home life. Mm -hmm. And that's something I always try to remind myself is if I die today, my job will be posted in a week. I'm replaceable. Mm -hmm. My home life is not replaceable. That's my priority. If I'm not happy inside, I'm not going to give my best to my clients. So mm -hmm. if that means I take mental health days, sometimes I do. And our team here is really supportive of that. Mm -hmm. um, I do hot yoga a couple of times a week. That's a really great great way for me to you know feel like I'm taking care of my physical body and my mental health 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just try to allow myself to do what makes me happy and just listen to my body. If that means I sleep in, or if I like take a walk to the beach, mm-hmm. I've just allowed myself to do what my body's asking me to do without judgment. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And, uh, as far as leadership and growth opportunity for in your position and in your profession, what are some opportunities there? Oh, you know, our, our specific, you know, department here is really good about promoting from within. Um, one of our acute, our um, director of crisis services is actually moving out of state. So one of our clinical supervisors was moved up into that position. So there's always room for growth here. There's definitely a lot of, you know, programs that we have here and at Stewart House. Um, yeah, I don't see myself wanting to do that anytime soon because I really enjoy direct client work not so much administrative tasks and whatnot um but yeah everyone here is amazing and our management is really focused on supporting us and growing in whatever way they can okay any future professional aspirations or goals um you know I really love my job here I (laughs) know that I can work with you know survivors of abuse outside of here but I don't know anywhere that offers the level of care that we do for free we don't bill insurance and we don't bill clients so I don't know of a model like ours that provides the medical care the mental health psychiatry all of it um and then UCLA is a great place to work it's great pay it's great benefits Mm -hmm. I'm part of a union So I don't see myself leaving here. Um, Mm -hmm. I do want to like, you know, make my own private practice on the side at some point with a very small amount of people Mm -hmm. because, you know, if I decide to have children in the future, then I would like to go down to part-time here and have the flexibility of being in control of my income. If let's say I want to take an extended period of time off to be with my kids or to recover Mm -hmm. from you know, so definitely just growing that on the side, um, that would be my ultimate goal so that I can retire early and still do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And lastly, before I let you go, any word of advice for future social workers? Um, the options are limitless. Mm-hmm. People will ask you, well, what exactly do you want to specialize in? You know, our skill set is versatile and don't be scared to try different things. There really is a million jobs available for us. And just remind yourself why you're here. You wanna help people. And there are millions of ways that you can do that within this profession. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Again, thank you so much for joining me, especially on this beautiful evening. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Of course, you have a beautiful evening and enjoy your weekend when it comes in two days. Yes, thank you, you too. I'm already ready for the weekend. Oh, me too. (laughs) It's only Wednesday, yo. We're halfway there. I know, I know. All right, you take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Thank you, bye. All right, and she back. The answer is C, it's 50,000. I hope you all enjoyed the episode and uh, stay blessed. Bye. All right, that's all I have for you today. Thank you again for joining me. I appreciate you. Please subscribe, follow, like, comment, and share. And uh, stay blessed. Bye.